heaven? No. It's Iowa. It's Manson Mitchell on the weekend with Gary Manson's Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to power up your day. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Kramer. Happy Saturday. Happy weekend, everybody, wherever you may be. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. Together, we are Mance and Mitchell in your ears for the hour. And we are happy once again of a Saturday to be working with our buddy, tall guy, Nathan Miller. Nathan, how are you today? Good morning, Gary and Suzanne. And this is one of those weird times during the year, the year where I'm dressed in like I'm going up to the mountains and skiing. And you're over there just in T-shirts and shorts and <laughs> not worrying about about staying warm we would worry more if we were outside because we are experiencing exactly what the meteorologists predicted which is during an el nino year the southeast including florida is cooler and wetter and so this uh, people are complaining as, as they walk their dogs out around the neighborhood about how cold it is even though it's in the 60s because <laughs> ordinarily it might be 75 to 80 I was yeah. going to say, get below 70 degrees and people start dressing like me in Florida. Actually, it's it's very easy for anybody to distinguish the difference between a year-round resident and somebody who's paid a lot of money to fly down here to vacation because the residents are dressed in fleece and the tourists are dressed in shorts and tank tops, and you just want to go, <laughs> I can't believe what I'm seeing. <laughs> like the umbrella in Seattle. I paid good money to come to Florida. I'm going to wear my swimsuit. <laughs> <laughs> but it's cold. It's cold for us. We're still in the mode of Happy New Year. Yes. And helping, for us, we're on a Mission this year, Suzanne, you and I have talked about this. In yeah. 2024, we want to get people powered up and in alignment with their highest aspirations. The start of the year, there are New Year's resolutions, and then there are commitments. Mm -hmm. They're not the same. Mm -hmm. So who did we think of for today? You're the one who suggested this lady, so I give credit to you. Oh, really? You. I did? Okay. Bridget dangle gaspard and she is uh she's a remarkable lady in every way and she has written a book that has had a big impact on many many people it's called the final eighth bridget dangle gaspard graduated from columbia university founded the new york voice dialogue institute and has led workshops for omega institute new york open center and many other organizations as a former performer and comic she specializes in overcoming creative blocks. She lives in New York City, where Gary and I have been once, and this is her fifth visit in five years. So welcome once again to Manson Mitchell, Bridget. I'm so glad to be here. And five is actually my favorite number. Always has been, and I don't know why. Oh, so. that's a wonderful number. It's a wonderful number. Um, we're going to talk about some really powerful, very specific things, especially in the second half of the show. But I was saying to you, let's go over a couple of the basic things about the final eighth and list your inner selves to accomplish your goals. I, I recall in previous interviews giving an example 
I want to start with an example today because it is currently running, and that is a repeat of a car commercial where the lady comes out of the uh, gym and hops into the driver's seat, and there are three more of her in the car. And so one in the back is, has got her hair up and glasses on and, and uh, you know, wants to know what the password is on her Buick. And, uh, and there's two others, but they are four of the same individual. And they're all talking about various things until the car parks itself. And she says, um, you know, I always hated parallel parking. And all of herselves said, me too. <laughs> I love it. That is the absolute demonstration of what it is we're going to talk about today and what you talk about in the final eighth, that we have inner selves. We, it, we aren't that singular personality who never changes and is like a robot. We are a, a many, many selves in one. So I wanted you to talk about how, what that is all about. And, and maybe, you know, anything about that you want to say? Oh, I am so excited to talk about this, too. That is indeed perfect. And I'm going to use that car commercial as I describe it. But basically, all my work is a healthy personality consists of many different selves. Alter egos, subpersonalities, personas, parts. These are all words that reflect the same thing. And you're right. There was pressure to somehow... You were crazy, maybe, even if you acknowledged you have different selves. And that's very scary. And it's like, no, that is healthy. And I love that in our society now, we've got room for lots of that. And so in my book, I help people start to identify their own selves that are operating within, because we have the selves that we call primary in my work. So the parts that we that we lead with, that we're used to, and that we know. And then we have other selves, which we have different names for, but some of the other selves are selves in us that we don't like. So it's not that we don't know about them, but we actively might dislike selves like maybe our procrastinator or our lazy bones. We often give negative names to those parts of ourselves. And then there's the parts of ourselves that Jung would call the shadow. They're not known to us. And um, also we, I have in, like what I would call nascent selves and they're selves that come up when we need to create new selves like for example when a toddler goes to kindergarten they naturally start to create student selves and that kind of stuff but that doesn't stop when one retires then there are selves that either may be revisited or are brand new selves so life that especially that it's fully lived naturally has transitions that might actually have us have selves plasticity is what i call it and then it's also when you're invited into a club you don't want to be invited into, like when you get a diagnosis. You, if In order to really operate well under those very difficult con conditions, it's often imperative you access and or cultivate different selves. So it's so powerful as a way to approach life just in general. And then using your car commercial, one of the ways... Um, I talk about the cells is who's driving your car. So even that alone is a good question. Who's driving my car today? And the the um, 
technique that I use is called voice dialogue. And it was created by my mentors, the doctors Hal and Sidra Stone. And Hal has passed on, but Sidra is still very vibrant, very much working. And they're the ones, and I highlight this in my book, The Final Eighth as well, that really has a technique. It's called voice dialogue, how to dialogue with different parts of yourself and let them speak uninterrupted so that if you have, let's say I brought up the procrastinator, the procrastinator can talk, but then later the getter done self can talk and they don't have to make some type of agreement. In voice dialogue, it's almost like you, you've got this conductor that says there's gifts to procrastination. Yes, that's true. And there's also negative aspects to the getter done self. So that's the other thing, voice dialogue and the self's approach, you get to look at the gifts and the stings of each self. And so what I love about this commercial is it sounds like the, the gym rat or the healthy person who went to the gym comes in and gets in the car. And then a lot of these selves agree they all hate parallel parking. So the other thing is the idea that we have different selves doesn't mean we're constantly tied in knots. Sometimes a whole closet full of selves will agree um, on a strategy. And then other times, especially this is where the final eighth comes in, you're going for a goal, you're working really hard, you've got all these talented, creative parts of you that are dedicated and hardworking, you get close to the goal, you can see it, and suddenly you stop, you're stalled, and it's so painful. And that's the final eighth. And with that exploration, you go to the parts of you that are involved with why you're stalled. And you find out they have really important reasons. They're not, you know, how you hear about, oh, kiss your inner critic, or kiss, there's a Freudian step, kick your inner critic to the curb. First of all, you can't. And anyway, it doesn't work. You bring the inner critic in, if that's a part of you that's afoot, and you listen to it. And as a creativity coach and a therapist, those parts really care about the individual. Their strategy might not be great, but they have the noble purpose of protection. Every part of us does. So that's another reason I like voice dialogue and its approach. It's not, not, not that anything is inherently an enemy. It might be that different parts of us have different strategies. And if some parts of us have bad behavior, and I mean that as a negative to your health, like a part that drinks too much. Well, <laughs> your body is attached to every single one of your parts. So if the part that drinks too much pairs up with the flirt and the let's just have fun and live in the moment selves, that's great. But when the party's over and the next day comes with its hangover, you've got other selves having to deal with the fallout. So that part of you that's maybe party hardy and a flirty part in their arena, they should be encouraged to bring the gifts that they bring, but not have to be dependent on alcohol to do it. So that's one way we look at where bad habits that are bad for your health are separate from sort of the impulse of the parts, which really are pure in the sense that they're all part of human nature. Bridget, do you make a distinction between a person who works with their inner selves versus a, a, a diagnosis of, of like multiple personality disorder. I'm glad you brought that up. People obviously 
uh, people still ask that because it's an important question. Multiple personality disorder is now called disassociative identity disorder. It's a real disorder. And the difference is it's uh, terrible abuse is what led to that diagnosis. There may be other things, but it's, it's what happens when someone is terribly abused. And the reason it's a disorder is because they can't go, get back to center. So when a self takes over for someone with that really rough diagnosis, they don't have any memory. And so then they are really in danger. So let's say whatever self takes over and then they suddenly kind of wake up, they literally often don't know what happened. And that's because those selves help them get through horrific trauma. And that is an illness because it, it, it makes it hard to function in the world, which is different than someone working with their inner selves who's aware. Even if let's say we go, I don't know why we're going back to this alcohol dependent part, but let's say even if you can't stop that part, say from picking up the substance, you're still aware. And that's the difference. When one is working with your different inner selves, it has to include the ability to be aware that you are working with one or a few of yourselves and that there are more options and you're at the center of it. With multiple personality disorder, there's no center there. And that's why it's a problem. And it's a very severe problem. And anyone who thinks they have that really should go get professional help and see if that's accurate and what they can get in terms of clinical health. Um, yes, thank you. It, it would seem uh, from what you've said that if you do have multiple personality disorder, you might have very high cement walls between your personalities, whereas in your inner selves and and multiple selves, you have see-through fences, you know, a little... <laughs> yes. So yes. I you love see that. them all. Yeah. It's like, okay. oh, there goes my flirt again. Look at her. <laughs> right. Where you can see the other selves coming out. And so it isn't like you are unconscious about it. Correct. Jean Houston has a wonderful word for the healthy aspect. She calls it polyphrenia. Instead of schizophrenia, it's polyphrenia. And polyphrenia is like you're aware, you're a poly of selves. That's so I love that image of cement wall versus um, a see-through wall. When Suzanne and I visited New York City, it came as a surprise to me, though I knew on this road trip, because we were headed to see friends of ours, uh, one of the uh, husband has actually been on our show several times, and we wanted to meet he and his wife and spend some time with them. The day that we got there, we went out to dinner for a lovely Italian meal in a suburb of Newark, New Jersey. And I thought, okay, and then we'll go back to their place. I'm just thinking, right? Letting the hamster wheel spin. And this is a lovely dinner. And then we'll go back home and we'll get to know each other better and have a pleasant chat in their home where they were gracious enough to play host. And we stayed with them, I think, five nights. And the husband, Carl, says, Hey, how about we go into the city? Well, take us in there. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> I wasn't expecting <laughs> that. So we went through, I believe it was the Lincoln Tunnel, and my jaw was already dropping because I looked at that magnificent skyline before and then after we went through the tunnel. And here I am in Manhattan. We parked in Midtown, 
And when the doors to the street, or one door actually, uh, opened and we walked out, we walked out into Times Square on a Friday night. Now, I found myself very soon into this experience going back in my mind to home base and issues that were unresolved that I knew I'd be dealing with when I got back home. And the reason why I asked myself, I'm on the sidewalks of New York City, uh, headed toward Broadway. And I'm asking myself, why am I doing this? And only later did I realize that I needed to do that because going from a pleasant, quiet Italian dinner in a suburban environment in New Jersey to being in Times Square and then Broadway, all of a sudden, unexpectedly, I could very easily have been overwhelmed with all the stimuli. So I took myself and my mind back to something familiar, problems yet to be solved, because otherwise I would have just been totally overwhelmed. Wow. So that I can understand the uh, the assault as well as the excitement of Times Square. But then are you saying, if I'm hearing you right, so it's almost like going to unsolved issues was an like organized you like stabilized you like that part of you said let's think about these things because that will ground you ground that's the key word yes i had to ground myself because there were so many people and the lights i mean hey you've been there all of the lights and the the noise and just everything just all at once it's in your face right now and you've got to keep up with the flow of the pedestrian traffic and Suzanne said close your mouth you're standing around looking up at the skyscrapers with your jaw dropped you look like a tourist and I said I am a tourist this is my first time in New York City and I didn't expect to be there at that time I wasn't prepared for what I was walking into and walking through I'll never forget it and I treasure the experience but wow was that a lot of stimuli all at once that's and and also how insightful that you realized going through what like oh things that need solving even though you didn't think of it some part of you unconsciously knew i know it'll ground him these thoughts you know and because i think grounding is such an important thing and people don't realize it until they're destabilized. It happens suddenly. They're like, and that's what you were, even though it was all under wonderful circumstances, you were destabilized because your your expectations were went asunder, literally had the volume blown up. Yes. And the underlying question, it's fundamental as far as I can tell, is... Who do I need to be right now? I'm in this moment. I'm not prepared for it. So what's my fallback self? Who do I need to be to get through this and hopefully enjoy the experience, which ultimately I did. And looking back on it, as I say, I treasure the experience and I'm sure I always will. But when you're right in the middle of it, you start grasping for coping strategies. Okay, now how do I get through this and retain my sanity? I, yes. And A, there's nothing wrong with grasping for coping skills that you already have, just to get the judgment off of that. Because honestly, if that's all we have in a moment, then that's good enough. 
But looking back, like, what would you think? Because that's the perfect question. And that's a tool you one can ask oneself. Okay, what self do I need to be in right now to best to make the best of this situation? Which in this case, almost was, I don't want to not enjoy it. That, that like, if you went back and you hadn't enjoyed it at all, that would have been really sad. Oh, yes. I mean, I'm thrilled that I had that experience. And there were, we went into the city three times altogether during that stay. Just a magnificent set of experiences, great memories. But you know, if you're rolling through a, a place like, I'm just going to pick Kansas or maybe Nebraska, you know, the heartland, that's one kind of experience. But when you're in this tremendous crush of people doing their thing and all at once in a confined space, you know, where you can't build out anymore. So they build up and here are all these people on a Friday night challenges one's sense of identity, it seems to me, particularly if you're a sensitive type like myself and many other people. Absolutely. And so... And just even again, the awareness, half of the battle is the awareness, like, okay, I can feel my identity being kind of squashed. Also, fear comes up, but the fear is natural. So many people, um, it's like, uh, it's innate fear of potential stampeding. I can't, I don't know, I can't trust anything. Like these parts there again, they have the noble purpose of protection. And it sounds like after it's like, okay, wait, um, let me close my mouth. Let me ground myself. And other parts were are you were able to bring in. But I think the first step is being aware of the parts that have come in. That part of you is scared. Like, wow, I, uh, there's so much here. And I think that inner allowance so that the judgment does not come in and some inner critic makes it even worse by somehow insulting you or or whatever it is. So I think the awareness and then choosing some a part of you, like looking back, what part, if you had it right there, would you have chosen within yourself? I think Gary chose curiosity. <gasps> and oh. he, he was really curious about all the things that were available in New York City, in Times Square, the, the curious about the sizes of the buildings, how tall they were, how wide they were. How many policemen were on the street? Many, many uniformed, and we heard many ununiformed police officers, and it was a, a relatively safe place to be, even though it, it could have been scary. But his his looking around at everything, I think, was being so curious about where he was. That was a curious inner self. And I look yeah. for perspective. Because I remember saying to Carl, who was driving, looking up at the buildings and just the, the density, I said, there's intensity, density, and immensity to New York City. And I looked out at these buildings, and I said, and a lot of them were residential, people living in Manhattan. And I said, Carl, do you realize, begging the question, do you realize that there are more people living in this little patch of New York City than there would be living in the entire state of Wyoming, for example. And he said, yes, that's true. Exactly. And 
this will be my, I love the curious self. I'm so glad that's who came up. And, and again, once you're aware, you can start to pick it because to me, the curious self is so fun to have activated. So, and yeah. And then the, the wildness of like, wow, this one by one by one by one block has more than a state. You know, if we think about it, like, that block only gets what one, I, I don't, I'm not good at that, but one, 1,000 of their senator. Whereas in Wyoming, you, it's like you have two senators for 10 people. I'm exaggerating. Yeah, right. you, you have two no. senators for Rhode <laughs> Island and two for California. Yes. I love that. And then, and then you could, again, get the curious self for many of us. They're the part of us that lets us enjoy what's there. Even though on some level, we may not have the capacity to take it all in at that time. Because, yeah, Times Square, is, even when you're used to it, it can be overwhelming. But it's it's shockingly, I, I love your poem, intensity, density, and, and immensity. That should be... The Big Apple's new long line. <laughs> he he really was enjoying it, you know, because there were many negative places to go coming out into the middle of a big city like that, and and fear is only one of them. But um, I, the fact is, he really did enjoy it. So whatever inner selves were uh, leading him into Times Square. Uh, the the result was he's talked about it ever since with a great deal of enjoyment. It, it wasn't like, oh, and then this bad thing happened. Right. Nothing bad happened. It was all good. And Suzanne has a different perspective because even though she was wowed by the experience and thoroughly enjoyed it, as I did, when she was a girl, Suzanne would get on a bus and go to downtown Chicago. She's a Chicago girl. At that time, Second City... And I was a, a well-traveled uh, youngster who would get on buses and go downtown if I needed more than what my local library had available. <laughs> and so I was at the downtown Chicago library, went to the Art Institute, visited various places downtown. And as I became a teenager, then I was taking the uh, the the trains to and from and subways. And, and interestingly enough, um, much later, decades later, my sister said to me, you develop a certain kind of awareness when you're raised in the city. Where, where are people sitting? What are they doing? How close are they? She said, there's this sense which tells you about your surroundings. And she said, my own three children are like three deer caught in the headlights. They would have no idea how to navigate a big city. They would just be so overwhelmed. But when you are raised in a big city, then you have a, a different perspective about things. And that is how we get different primary selves. That's so beautifully put, like just the environment, like you, the, the city versus the country. And it's funny because I grew up in New York City, um, but I still think that New York uh, uh, Times Square is very overwhelming, just so you know, not that I don't enjoy it. But I didn't realize until I was in a conversation with other people that other people didn't do what I'm about to share. And this is just a good thing. I did this unconsciously, which means that a self, a protective self in me, 
When I'm walking on the street, the other thing, I'm sure it's the same in Chicago, you don't want to look like a victim. You don't want to look scared, even if you are. So you have to have a good fronter self. And I didn't realize that as I was walking down streets, I just automatically used the parked car's windows as my rearview mirror. So I never had to look like I was looking behind me. I just kind of unconsciously until it became conscious, that's just something I did. So I literally knew who was behind me because I could see through the reflection of the parked cars. And that's just a self that picked up on it. But again, same thing, it's a part of my environment. It is not smart to not know who's around you. And it's, at least in New York, it was also not smart to look like you have to look and be all scared and know. So you had to have the, I got it all under control self. And then you had your um, covert operator who was feeding information all the time. You walk with purpose, and actually, I walk more quickly in a city. Like, I know where I'm going. I know what I'm doing, and don't bother me. I mean, yes. Yeah. I would adore that self. If I saw you, I'm like, I can trust her. <laughs> she doesn't want to be bothered. That's right. <laughs> and, and you answered a question I was going to ask. We are going to break. But the question you answered is, you know, where do some of our inner selves come from? And there was one answer. You know, where are you raised a city or or suburbs or rural and how that uh, uh, how that will bring out a particular inner self because of just that so much more that we want to talk about Gary what do you think we got to take a break we got to take a break we are speaking with Bridget Dangle Gaspard author of the final eight and when we come back there's a looming question what is your word for 2024 your guiding star of a word that's going to keep you on purpose. We will get into that on the other side of a short break. We are Manson Mitchell. Glad you're with us. We will be right back. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days, and I'm so excited to tell you about American Road. It is the best car travel magazine in the world. They have the most fantastic adventures detailed in each magazine with all your itinerary. We could just jump in the car with your family and have the most fabulous adventures you've ever had in your life. Please, get a copy of American Road and start your own adventure. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash manceandmitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is ManceAndMitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terry at terryloving.com. That's terry at terryloving.com. 
On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcome Rich Spitzer, who shares how to discover your positivity intelligence, actual lessons to develop positivity in your life and increase your chance for success. On Saturday, Joey Medea, ghost researcher, author, playwright, returns for another hour we call Metaphysical Q&A. Bringing you mastery and mystery since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk AM 1150. Wondering what's on next on Alternative Talk 1150? Check out 1150kknw.com. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell and our guest this hour, her fifth visit with us, Bridget Dengel-Gaspard. She is the author of The Final Eighth, Enlist Your Inner Selves to Accomplish Your Goals. Bridget, if people would like to connect with you, um, website, social media, workshops, please let our listeners know anything that you have going on that they might get interested in. There's a lot going on, and everything can be found on my website, BridgetDangleGaspar.com. Just spell it out. But honestly, probably if you put in the final eighth, you don't have to remember how to spell my name exactly, but everything is on there. And a couple of things I'd love to highlight today is I have a free introduction to voice dialogue with instructions on how to do your own voice dialogue facilitations as a webinar. And it's on Udemy and that you can get that on the website too. And so it's a great place It's designed so you can stop and start. So as you explore your own inner selves and journal through it, because I really want to make it accessible. As you were saying, this is a fascinating topic. And I just don't, it's very important to me that it's not some academic sphere you have to climb some ladder on. No. So it's free. As long as you have internet, it is in English. So, but those are the two things. If you have internet, you can speak and understand English, It's I, it, please use it. We've got probably about 800 people already who have downloaded it and found it helpful. The other thing is um, kind of just hot off the presses is this May, 2024, I'm gonna have my first in-person level one and level two, and that's all the levels, voice dialogue professional training. And we'll be offering continuing education credits for varying licensed professionals. And um, just email me, I'm on all the social medias, and I have not put that up yet. So it's I'm debuting the information with you. But anyone who's interested, because it's going to be deliberately kept small and it's an immersive intensive, but you leave able to do voice dialogue and help other people facilitate different selves. And of course, my book, which you can do audio as well as regular, but the final eighth, enlist your inner selves to accomplish your goals, especially now that we're in the new year and goals seem to rear their heads up once again. Yes, they do annually. (laughs) (laughs) As it turns out. Okay, Bridget. So what's your word for 2024? So my word or term, because a term is allowed, is loving ease. And I picked that because when we think of the word, I, it's, I think of it as what's a word that will activate you or galvanize you, inspire you or energize you. So I don't want it to be too like, um, I don't know, like something a teacher would tell you you need to do. And I love what you were saying, that it helps you align with your aspirations. And so the word I picked actually more reflects an energy. So for me, loving ease is allowing, it's like 
allowing what happens to happen. It's not passivity. As I always say, you never accept unacceptable behavior because I've chosen love and ease does not mean I'm going to be um, a pushover or anything like that. But it's an energetic way that I can feel good and allow collaboration, which I adore. So that's why I picked it. So I, it, it should be really personal in the sense that it should personally galvanize you. And if it doesn't, it's not a good enough word or term, go back to the drawing board and pick something that really jazzes you. How would you suggest people choose their word? How did you choose yours? By what, by what means? A meditation or, or what? Yes, that's a great question. And I know Gary and I were talking earlier about what he picked. And I think I just was thinking his process was so good. I love what he picked, which I'm not going to, I'll let you do the big reveal. But I would say, for example, last year, Suzanne, I picked um, creative zeal because I had just heard about a zeal chakra. I never heard of zeal chakra. And I just love the idea of zeal. And I added creative because my pusher, could have taken it over and just made it zeal, like, okay, let's attack these goals. And I didn't want it to be that energy. I wanted it to be creative zeal. So that was last year. And I produced a lot of stuff. And I think my pusher could take away the pleasure part. And that's why the other part, which is more disowned in me, is the loving ease. Like step back might be the right thing to do in any given moment, which my pusher would never agree with. But my larger selves that understand life is a process to be enjoyed and connected through that. So that's why. And I think it came through meditation and contemplation and also giving myself permission to change my mind. And like, is this really the right thing? How does it resonate? And it and it does. So I feel like the other thing that's really important is that ideally you can apply to all your life arenas. In other words, one of my favorite examples is I had a client who picked integration. And I said, well, okay, you wake up every day and you think, ah, integration. Is that going to be motivating? She's like, no, it's boring and dry and kind of like vague. So she ended up picking the word love, which was very juicy for her, of course, for most of us. So the idea is integration was what her like, this is what you should do because you should be working on integration. Paradoxically, of course, integration happened over the year, but love was the juicy, jazzy, this is the garden of life. Not like you better get as many crops in that garden as possible. And okay, if that corn roll is empty, then we should put potatoes there. It's like a whole different energy that takes away the pleasure and probably paradoxically takes away the productivity you think that that is going to give you. Wow, I'm thinking about all of that. You know, you have to find a term which resonates with you that you're not fighting against. Yeah. Yes. Very yes. good. Yes. Gary, have you got a word? I have a word, a term, and it's Chinese. It is Wu Wei. I'll spell it capital W U hyphen capital W E I. Wu Wei. Literally, no action. So I'm done for the year. No, it doesn't work that way. Wu Wei, literally no action, 
in Chinese philosophy, and particularly among the 4th and 3rd century BCE philosophers of early Taoism, the practice of taking no action that is not in accord with the natural course of the universe. Wu Wei involves letting go of ideals that we may otherwise try to force too violently onto things. It invites us instead to respond to the true demands of situations, which tend only to be noticed when we put our own ego-driven plans aside. There's a quote from the Tao Te Ching, sacred scripture of Taoism. In the Tao Te Ching, there is this phrase, the Tao does nothing, yet nothing is left undone. That's actually a line from one of the chapters. The Tao does nothing, yet nothing is left undone. So if you want to talk paradoxical, sometime, and I'm, uh, I remember a line from Alan Watts, who is one of the foremost Western interpreters of Eastern philosophy in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. And he once said, muddy water is best cleared by leaving it alone. The clarity there emerges when we leave it alone. But if you stir up mud, you're just creating, you're shifting the mud. You're not clearing it. What you want is clear water. And so to give a very mundane example of what this is about, Wu Wei, Suzanne and I were driving, uh, I guess it was, I don't know, about a week ago, and uh, we faced the uh, terrible human predicament of trying to park at Costco as close to the entrance as possible. Do we succeed? Typically, no. There, But this time I just had the thought, why don't we, what if we just let go? Let's not worry because, and Suzanne was driving and she was going, okay, I hope to get a good parking place here. Keep an eye out, you know, to, to see who's leaving there. And I said, why don't we just let the universe decide where we're going to park and we'll get the right place. And lo and behold, someone pulled out, leaving us enough safe space right in front of us, closer to the main entrance of our local Costco than we had ever parked before. And I just looked at her and I said, you see what I mean? You see what I mean? If you just let go, everything falls into place. That's perfect. I just had this image of, you know, the one way and the two way signs. We need to have cities make the woo way signs. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. I like that. I like that. <laughs> Okay, I have not yet chosen a word. So uh, there's something else I wanted to ask you about. And that is when we establish these New Year's resolutions or our goals for the year or our word, one of the things that you talk about is contradictory belief systems. And you say they are so distressful that subpersonalities move in to distract us. And I find that myself when there's something I want to do. And then another belief system says, I can't do it. One says I can, the other says I can't. 
then the subpersonality comes in and I'll check my email or take a nap or, you know, do something that isn't even remotely related to the goal that I had intended. So I wanted you to say a little bit about, about that. How, how does all that come about? This is so perfect because I bet 92% at least of your listeners and everyone else have this. So I think it's really important. So the parts of you that want to go to do the action activity, whatever that is, there are probably a bunch of parts. So you go along and you do it, and then it goes up against the I can't. And that's the, those are the parts of you that are related to your core negative belief, which most of us have had put inside early on, and they often are ancestral, meaning they come from many generations before us. So those parts, even though we've done a lot of work over the years, many of us, they still tie to somehow, I don't deserve it, I'm not good enough. And so suddenly, if you finish the task, literally, whether it's shopping within your budget, because that's the goal, or publishing a book, like it does not matter how small or large, the more you get finished and can say, oh, I'm done with that task, the more disconcerting it is for the parts of you that think, well, you're not capable. And so it's literally cognitive dissonance. That's what they call it. And it's so painful that either you'll flip to some inept self that makes it accurate that you're not capable because you don't do it. Not that it's true that you're not capable, but it's accurate that you don't aren't. And then you have a protector self. The distraction self is actually protecting you from the potential pain of feeling that double bind or that tug of war grind between the parts of you that think you can and the parts of you that are still attached to the false idea that you cannot. And so the distraction is actually like a painkiller because what they re- they don't want you to feel bad. And again, even though the it's about protection, it's not necessarily the healthiest type of protection, but the motivation is pure. And I would say that that's what's going on. And I do it too. There's nothing like a nap because it has the biological property of you feeling better when you wake up. So it's actually (laughs) reinforced physiologically. Yes. I didn't finish this, but I feel refreshed. (laughs) (laughs) On my to-do list for quite some time was to paint a small section of wood that had gotten replaced around a doorway. And every single day I looked at this unpainted wood and I, I put it on a to-do list, paint paint the unpainted wood. And then came the thought was, well, am I going to open a paint can for just that small section? And so here's my belief systems bumping up against each other, contradicting each other. You know, I, I'm sure you could just do this really quickly. And then the other belief system was, yeah, but then, you know, you need to do some prep first and maybe a little, you know, sanding or wood filler or something else. And I looked at that. I can't even tell you how long it was. It was well more than a year that I looked at this little naked wood. And what came up was my angry self. And it's like, what the heck, Suzanne? Just paint the stupid thing. And I I think in total from start to finish, including preparation and cleanup was about 15 minutes. I suffered well more than 15 minutes with this undone thing. This talk about your final eighth, final eighth of a piece of wood 
a simple goal, a very simple goal, but the ideas that got in the way and got in the way, and I think I'll just take a nap or I'll check my email or I have other things to do besides work on that stupid piece of wood. And for that to go on and on and on. And, and I said to myself, it, it can't be just me. I mean, this has to happen with a lot of people where you just let things go and go and go. The, the procrastinator in you wins out until something else intervenes. And in my case, it was just pure anger. It's like, doggone it. I'm, I'm tired of looking at that. And I would say your anger then protected you. Like, let's end this standoff, please. <laughs> we, And that's a perfect example where this is a truly, I think, healthy use of your anger. Like the anger is like, this logjam has got to stop. Paint the thing, clean it up now. <laughs> that was my bowl where I keep all my words for the year for my friends and family, which I'm going to put yours in there. And now Boom. you have word salad on the floor. <laughs> Um, okay. It's fine, but what's so wild, if I may, it's a kintsugi bowl. So I broke it and put it together with gold. Nice. And nice. Uh, but it didn't break. But if it had broken, it would have been part of its charm. Yeah. That we are more powerful and more attractive with our flaws and our scars. It's Japanese, also Asian, but. Um, I just love that philosophy. And that's where I keep, and I'm going to add yours when you think of one, people's, um, I cut them up in homemade hearts and I keep them in there for the year so that we we don't, we, we can do it flawed. We don't have to be perfect and yes. imperfect is perfect. Yeah. not see, that would be a reason not to pick a word. Well, I don't know if I'm going to get the right word. I don't think I will. Uh, let me think about it. I'll, I'll get back to you on that. And and so June, July comes around. Oh, we still haven't thought about my word. Yeah, I'll have to. I'll have to do that. So here's all these inner selves that play in your life. Your life is and made up of all May, that. Yes. In June and July, if you haven't picked a word, then the inner critic attacks, and that's oh, yeah. right. Oh that's yeah. A, that's another self that would come in and say, "See, you blew it." Yep. Yeah. And whatever other negative things one's inner sure. critic seems to have. At that point in the year, your word is procrastinate. <laughs> right. And then you think, okay, if the word is procrastinate, because that's what I'm doing, what's the gift of procrastination? And there are gifts. Can you think of any? Is I know. Well, you might be going headlong into something that isn't going to work out and you procrastinate it. And all of a sudden you find out it all worked out without you. Or you, yes, you may find yourself blessed by a better option that you didn't even know existed. There and these aren't go. fake. They're not like, con, um, what is like consolation prize reasons. These are right. also, um, they, they let things develop like a seed in the soil that then becomes this little little bit of a green thing and then eventually a flowering bush. So so if I really couldn't decide or I was helping someone, I'm like, all right, let's just embrace what's here. And then maybe it would be allowing. 
then would become the word. If the procrastinator really seemed to not want to go, then mm-hmm. we would find the gift in there and we would find the word that was once again in galvanizing, inspiring, and not doing what inner critics and perfectionists and pushers do, which is a very hard charge energy with like toggle switch. You've succeeded yes. or you've failed. We right. gotta get we gotta get into the paradox and out of the toggle switch. <laughs> yes. Sorry. Yes. I like that. I like that. It, it things are not always black or white, and sometimes the perfect word is one of those gray words right in the middle. And and I think it's important when we choose words to, um, yes, have some passion about them, and yes, embrace them, but also not use them to beat ourselves up. That's you know, vital. Choose a word where you're going to win. Make it a winning word. That's it. That's it. Don't make it a should word like integrate because you think that's a good word, of, you know, and it's what mature people do. Skip it. If what's if it's what you think mature people do and it doesn't inspire, throw it away. But it, it must be a friend. It cannot be a foe, the word, whatever it is. Somebody once said to me when I was complaining about my to-do list, I, I really have a lot to do. I mean, I, I really, really have a lot to do. And this person said to me, well, who made that list? (laughs) Well, well. Gary. I I did. No, no. Gary doesn't make (laughs) up my list. I make up my list. I'm teasing. And so, you know, that's the first thing is, you know, as one of yourselves, are you, um, you know, driving yourself to, to fail or can you set up goals that you can succeed at? Also, in that case, what is your to-do list self scared of? What's the underlying fear? And then maybe you can address that concern directly. You'll forget something and, you know, that the fear is usually huge. And then you will lose your benefits if you don't make the like, oh, I'll lose my benefits in the organizational club of America. There we go. <laughs> right. I'll become. They'll they'll know I was an imposter. But that's another way in. Okay. So, what yeah. does my to do list really care about? My to do list self really care about, and really listen. And usually, it's something like I don't want you hurt in some way, like financially or some way that the two you know staying on top of things. Mm-hmm. Bridget, we are so delighted that you joined us today. We must do this again. Yes. And we will. (laughs) And her wonderful book is called The Final Eighth, Bridget Dangle Gaspard. And again, your website? BridgetDangleGaspard.com. But you can put in The Final Eighth on Google, and it'll come to all my different social medias and connect. I love questions that, particularly if I can answer them. (laughs) Thank you for your excellence and for being with us today. Oh, thanks for inviting me. Join us next Friday. And have yourselves a great weekend, everyone, and a great week ahead. Here's what's coming up next week on Manson Mitchell. On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcome Rich Spitzer, who shares how to discover your positivity intelligence, actual lessons to develop positivity in your life and increase your chance for success. On Saturday, Joey Medea, ghost researcher, author, playwright, returns for another hour we call Metaphysical Q&A. 
bringing you Mastery and Mystery since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk AM 1150. 